Welcome to Fairfax County's EnviroPod, and I'm Scott Coco. This is the podcast where we talk everything environment in our great county, especially efforts that our Department of Public Works and Environmental Services put in to ensure the safety and the lasting endurance of our environment here. In previous episodes, we've talked quite a bit about stormwater. We have talked with Megan Fellows and Dave Anglin on different ways the county has been working to restore eroded streams in episodes 3 and 15. We've also talked with Danielle Wynn in episode 7 about watershed education and outreach. And I've also talked with Annie Shields with Cub Run Rec Center on watershed volunteer cleanups uh, for stories here on Channel 16. And what we've learned from all of these people about how important the waters that flow through this county are and the human effects on what flows through it. Today I have with us Shannon Curtis, Chief of the Watershed Assessment Branch here within DPWES, and he's here to talk to us about the health of the watershed in Fairfax County and a new device that has been installed in Little Huntington Creek to help capture litter from the stream. Chief Curtis, <laughs> how you doing? Welcome Good. to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having Thanks me. Thanks for coming out. Yeah. Um, My pleasure. So tell me a little bit about what you do here with DPWES. Um, I've been... Um, in the stormwater planning division for 21 years, actually before it was actually a, a division that got pulled out of um, out of the utilities group. Um, I'm the branch chief. I oversee a group of environmental scientists, inspectors, biologists, ecologists, and we basically work to educate the public on what um, pollution issues. We inspect and make sure that, that active pollution, and we enforce uh, certain ordinances that, that um, prevent pollution in the county. Um, and we have a lot of um, ecologists who study the streams and the watersheds and the health of waterways and to help us understand them better um, so that we can actually manage them and try to keep them healthy. We've been doing that for a long time. And how did you get into this line of work? Uh, well, playing in creeks and streams as a kid in my backyard, being in the woods, I always loved, loved being in the woods. And, and uh, something about the stream aquatic life always drew me to it. I always found myself with a bucket and a pail and fishing frogs in a net. So um, I decided to pursue that as a professional in my education. And then uh, my ideal job was to be out working in the waterways when I got out of college. And luckily enough, this was the first job I landed out of college and been here ever since. From from this area or yeah, where are you from? Yeah, here. Yep. Whereabouts? Manassas. Okay. Yeah, so I'm kind of lived overseas a couple times, a few years, but yeah, this is pretty much my my uh, childhood home. So y you know the area, and we've talked a number of times about the different um, terrains and geological what what is coming from uh, West Virginia, mm -hmm. Western Fairfax, and how it flows, and the water yep. comes right through Fairfax County, and how that affects everything mm -hmm. uh, that comes through. Um, what is the health of the, the, the streams, the watershed, and how is the county looking at the moment? That's a great question. Um, we've been looking at this for extensively for the last 20, 20 plus years. Uh, back in 1999, the whole program kind of started with the Board of Supervisors asking Public Works, what is the health of our streams? What are, where are the good ones? Where are the bad ones? What makes them good? What makes them bad? We need a baseline understanding of the streams if we want to manage them. There was a lot of attention at that point in time on water quality uh, and efforts to improve the bay and our local waterways. Uh, so they brought on a small group of uh, ecologists, and we spent the next two years collecting 
biological, chemical, and physical data of the streams and the watersheds, um, preparing a report and basically uh, providing them with the synopsis um, and what to do with a lot of recommendations. And what we found then is still true today. We haven't seen a lot, a lot of change. Uh, Basically, in a nutshell, about three-quarters of the streams in our county are considered fair, poor, very poor health and condition. Wow. Yeah. I, and, and so it, is that certainly I imagine it's mostly human effects on the stream. It, it certainly and, is. And through, through uh, construction and... Uh, mostly stuff like you know roads, construction, concrete. Uh, is that the the biggest cause of problems? That's our current cause of problems. But um, when you take a step back and look at it at a larger uh, time scale, we've been here impacting the landscape um, centuries now. Um, so we first deforested it. Uh, we heavily overfarmed it. Um, so there's we're we're kind of building on the latest round of impacts that humans have been doing to the land for a while. Um, what, how we use the land, what we do on the land, is the biggest uh, decider of water quality and the conditions of the streams. But yeah, uh, what you um, have alluded to, which is the current developed condition of Fairfax County, uh, provides a, um, it creates a lot of additional runoff. And those streams that are here, um, they formed and developed under a certain hydrologic regime. In other words, a certain amount of rainfall producing a certain amount of runoff. When you pave everything and cover it with impervious surfaces like parking lots, roadways, rooftops, driveways, uh, shopping malls, everything you can think of, especially roads, uh, that water can't get in the ground and that generates a lot more surface water runoff when we have storm events. So now we have a lot more water coming into the streams and the streams erode um, and all of a sudden they become unstable. And so whenever you see a, um, a, a sudden amount of development in a drainage area, you typically see a response of the streams unraveling and, and eroding. And with that erosion and with that uh, change in the water regime uh, come a lot of ecological and physical um, ailments with the stream health. So I, I, I know you'll be glad to know that I saw an interview with uh, um, County Executive Brian Hill um, a while ago and just a couple months ago, mm -hmm. and he was talking about challenges and future and five-year plans and stuff further down the line, and and something he brought up right away, I, you know, certainly with budgets and all that stuff, is what to do with stormwater. It was the first or second thing he brought up, and it was that, you know, for people that don't right. pay attention, it was quite shocking, you, you know, to uh, just think of all the urbanization that's going on, yeah. Um, and stuff like that, that what to do with stormwater was one of the top things that a county government official not involved with the EPWAS right. had brought up. I thought that was quite telling. That's really great. It means partly we're doing a good job of communicating the issues to the leadership. But we've also been very, very lucky over my career here in the county is we've had very progressive leadership taking the initiative, doing things before the mandates come from the federal government or from the local government, stepping out, knowing there's a problem, putting resources and time and energy into doing things ahead of time to be proactive. Um, and it's paid dividends in our program. And uh, that's really great to hear. I think I heard you mention that on Heather's uh, interview when you talked with Heather a little bit about that. And um, I went back and looked for that. I got to find that and see what he said. <laughs> yeah, I, it was... Uh... It was, it was eye-opening, um, and it was good to think that um, 
because you know you sit in and um, as a producer we hear like the environmental committee that Mrs. Gross chairs mm -hmm. and you hear some of the land development services public planning and you hear that stuff there but it was really interesting to hear as um, certainly looking into the future yeah because it also costs a lot of money afterwards when it causes a whole lot of damage. Yes. And being out there in the streams with Dave Anglin, mm -hmm. seeing the effects of it all is, you know, quite shocking also. Yeah. So what, what is your goal? What are some of the plans? Do you have a um, – how do we make as a – someone at your level, mm -hmm. what do we do to construct or make the streams better? There's a, there, we wish there was a silver bullet, but as many complicated, complex problems, we, uh, it's going to be a multifaceted approach to the problems. And some are, are um, irrevocable. I mean, there's some, there's some issues that as you get more and more and more people on the landscape, you, you just kind of get past this point where you're not going to have a pristine stream there ever again. Right. I mean, we can do a lot to help Mother Nature. We can do a lot to to fix some of the really bad uh, issues that we have. But, you know, in a Tyson's Corner type scenario, you're going to have a lot of drainage. You're going to have a very urban footprint. Um, and so I think management has to be um, the way we manage our resources. We have to kind of be adaptive and flexible uh, in certain areas. It's way, way, way more effective to prevent these problems from happening or getting worse than it is to go and fix it, as you alluded to. Um, so when we made our original recommendations with the stream protection baseline study back in 2001, um, kind of the first thing we did is we, we, set, we set the watersheds into three different categories. One is preserve. That's, a, that's kind of like triaging. If it's good or if it's, if it's in decent shape, keep it that way. Um, then we had a management level one category where we said, um, these things are really degraded. You're going to spend a lot of money and a lot of time to try and fix them, even though they're the worst. Um, and then we had a management level category where we said, hey, these are kind of in between. And these are the guys, these are the areas teetering between going from the good to the bad, and that's where you really want to probably focus. Um, unfortunately, a lot of our, uh, the regulations from the Clean Water Act and some of our um, the regulatory requirements kind of point us towards the worst ones first. So it's a little bit of a challenge uh, managing, um, but a lot of it has to do with public education and awareness. Uh, I think people don't tend to care about things if they don't understand them. When they understand things, they tend to care. And, um, and so really a big part of my group, we do the investigations. We communicate to the public, both with the school kids and with the businesses that actually do things outside that could affect the quality of water coming off our landscape. Does a lot of it also have a lot of coordination? I know Fairfax County has the challenge of we don't own our roads. And then mm -hmm. so you've got the Department of Transportation creating something like the Springfield Mixing Bowl. A whole lot of concrete, a whole lot of ramps, water going everywhere. But also the jurisdictions that we're connected to, you know, mm -hmm. you've got Prince William, Loudoun, Arlington, right. Alexandria, it, how difficult is that coordination? You know, it's always a challenge. Uh, fortunately, we have uh, organizations like the Northern Virginia Regional Commission that helps us, that helps liaise between the communities. Um, we have the Washington, D.C. Council of Governments, which uh, is the kind of a larger version of the Northern Virginia. Um, 
And, you know, the reality is people tend to go off and, and people, meaning organizations, tend to go off and work in their, in their little worlds. And, and they, you have to stop and take time and step back and, and look at that you are a part of a quilt of larger jurisdictional, you know, our watersheds, which hopefully everybody knows what a watershed is by now. But, you know, the watershed is the area of land that drains to a particular part on a stream. So it's basically everything that if it rains, those are all the places that collect water that come to where you're standing at the stream. So, um, so our watersheds are kind of the units that we work by. And political jurisdictions don't respect watershed boundaries. So when it rains and goes this way, it may or may not be in Fairfax County. And so it, we have to really kind of work uh, from the watershed perspective. So we need to gerrymander the watershed. That That's it. That's, I'm highly biased towards watershed boundaries for political right. boundaries. Makes it a lot easier, they, too. Watersheds don't vote either, right. so maybe... Uh... Yeah, they, they don't have a voice. But it actually makes it a lot easier when you're trying to manage a resource, uh, when you obviously you, it's, you know... Um, the fewer a number of jurisdictions and, and entities. Um, but really, watershed management is really about bringing everybody in. When we did the watershed management plans um, about 10 to 15 years ago, these were kind of huge synopsis of where we are uh, in terms of the condition of the watersheds and then what we need to do, what the prescription is. And uh, there were, I think, 1,900 projects um, recommended out of the plans for areas of opportunity identified in the plans and large part of that was public involvement stakeholder involvement not only to develop the plans but as as we go out and actually implement some of the the fixes both structural and non-structural fixes you need to incorporate um, the business community the schools the faith-based communities the residential um, everybody has a stake in it and some people just need to be aware you know they need to be um, awoken a little bit. A lot of things people don't really see the stuff that I see every day today when I look and say, oh, that's not draining right, or, you know, look at that stream, it doesn't look healthy. People don't necessarily um, always think about that, but if you come to them and give them uh, information, people always want to do the right thing. So someone with your career history and your knowledge of everything, tell me, what scares you the most about the current situation? But what also gives you hope? Ooh, tough question. Um, I guess what kind of what keeps me up at night a little bit is that, like I mentioned before, there's some things that we just the damage is is kind of final. You know, um, nature is incredibly um, resilient, right? So, you know, maybe in 200 years, the streams that look horrendous right now with the right management nature can come back and do what it needs to do but it's the it's the kind of the irrevocable damage that occurs to the landscape that kind of keeps me up the the mixing bowl the beltway the uh 66 that's completely expanded as far as it possibly can get now and the only place to go now is is start stacking roads on top of each other like they do out west so um kind of the once you see natural land converted to uh, an intense human use that's kind of the end of the story it doesn't usually go back right usually don't you don't see buildings torn down and meadows planted even though we've had a few little opportunities to do that so to me it's just kind of the the change that that is permanent that kind of keeps me up um and it's 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 difficult people are really struggling as they develop their properties what to do with this stormwater they, they just don't have where to put it especially as we get more and more built out 
you know, the land becomes very valuable. I don't want to put a stormwater pond there because I can, I can make a lot more money if I put a house there. So everything's going underground. They're really, really stretching the limits of what we do with this additional water. Uh, what gives me hope is that there is so much um, energy around it now, and it's become much more public in terms of the people caring about um, the health of the waterways, people being interested. Um, the Chesapeake Bay um, pollution budget, the plan to clean up the bay, has generated an incredible amount of energy from all levels, um, states, localities, uh, the federal government, you know, the farmers, I mean, it's driving the regulations, and so there's so much more attention on stormwater now that really gives me hope that there will continue to um, head in the right direction because in the past, stormwater was just looked at as a kind of an afterthought, like, oh, oh yeah, when it rains, we've got to do something with this water. Let's <laughs> just get over here to the stream. And now it's, it should be more fundamental when we plan a site, hey, the stormwater can be an amenity. Maybe we can save this rain or we can create a water feature. How do we deal with it rather than treating it as, like, um, waste? Interesting. Yeah. Um, and and I, I know the human impact on where stormwater goes and all the concrete and everything is probably progressing. But how about the, the environmental cleanliness of how it's been? I know, you know, 30 years ago, the, was the Chesapeake Bay mm-hmm. was a huge uh, issue and Hopefully that's gotten cleaner than and it was before. What are you? What are your thoughts on that? There's, like I said, there's an incredible amount of energy and time and effort that's been put into fixing the bay. Um, I, there's, there's definitely um, strong signs of improvement uh, at the bay level um, and locally. I think there's a lot more rules and regulations that are on development and on how we um, run our society really. And and I, I think. It's one of those things that you can go and fix something, but you may not notice the effects for 10, 50 years. How long does it, you know, if you, it's not like Field of Dreams in the baseball field where if you build it, they'll come, right? You know, I want critters, I want good, healthy biota in this stream, so I'm going to engineer a stream that I think is perfect for them. Well, maybe they'll come, maybe they won't. Maybe it'll take them 50 years. We found out with our wastewater treatment plant, uh, that discharges into Pohick Bay and into Gunston Cove, that you turn the tap off of all the nutrients and pollutants that were causing the problems in the river, and we took us 10 years to work all of that stuff out of the system before we saw a response in the uh, submerged grasses and the health mm-hmm. of those estuaries. So um, I get concerned that people may get discouraged because of the lag time effect. We spent all this money. Where's the result? Where's the effect? And with nature and with these, uh, you know, the natural world, it's not always um, quite immediate. So um, hopefully, you know, people have the, the long-term vision to see that, um, that those changes should come. So tell me a little bit about the project that you wanted to bring and talk to us today. I did a little bit of research okay. on some of the stuff you sent me. But uh, tell me about tell me about what's going on down in Little Huntington. So this um, this is the first of its kind in the Fairfax in Fairfax County, and um, it has it's generated a lot of interest as it should. Um, it's called um, it's a stream trash trap that collects uh, floating litter from the stream, and uh, without seeing it, even with seeing it, a lot of people don't understand how it works. So I'll try to kind of um, provide a real. A real simplistic view of it. If you can imagine a floating skimmer, 
okay? The stream flows. This thing has big floating boom arms that kind of start in the stream banks and they kind of form a V into the middle of the stream, but they're on the surface of the stream. So as the stream rises from runoff, the, the boom floats up and it floats down. And when trash floats along the surface and hits these booms, it gets funneled into this basket at the bottom, at the downstream end. And if that basket fills up with all these floatable litter and debris, then it just builds up behind the boom upstream, right? So it doesn't overflow. It, doesn't, it, it basically is a very effective trap for what we call floatables. So floatables is a made-up word that we like to use, and it basically is litter that uh, tends to float on the surface of water. Plastic bags, water bottles, styrofoam cups were a huge one. We're seeing, I think we're seeing less of those and a lot more of the water bottles, the Gatorade bottles. Um, and so Little Hunting Creek, as some of you may know, is along the Route 1 corridor. So is it probably one of the most densely human uh, trafficked both pedestrian and just, you know, cars, hum you know, pedestrian traffic, lots of in high density residential and commercial. So there's a really strong human presence there um, in, in a dense numbers. And, and a lot of streams and parks over in that area too, so. Right. And fortunately, we had the, the we had leadership a long time ago who had the uh, wisdom to kind of put those things aside and say, let's leave the stuff aside for, um, for, for future use, for enjoyment. But in that area, it's, a, it's an older part of the county, um, and there are a lot, a lot of litter issues um, that prevail through that corridor. Um, a lot of it is windswept from the roadways. There's a lot of bus stops. There could be overflowing trash cans and dumpsters. Um, there's just a lot of... Um, it's kind of notorious for being one of the uh, more littered areas in the entire county. Mm. And so... We were looking for areas that we could pilot some new technology that we saw, which is this, this, this floating trash tap called a Bandalong. They started developing them in Australia about 30 years ago, and the first one's still in operation. It's a very simple wow. machine. They're very durable. There's no moving parts that need to be um, – it's passive. It doesn't have, need electricity. It doesn't need solar. It doesn't need gasoline. It's literally just a floating funnel that sits on top of the stream. Um, the trick is keeping it maintained so it doesn't clog, because once you build up clogs, you can get logs, debris, you can, it can break, you know. There's a lot of, uh, maintenance is really the big key with this thing. But we wanted to try some litter reduction techniques for stormwater. Um, and this was a really interesting one that we saw that really had a lot of promise. Um, Washington, D.C., uh, the District of Columbia has several of them installed. Montgomery County has one on the end, not Montgomery. Uh, Prince George's has one on the Anacostia River, um, and they were kind of forced into doing something about their litter. Uh, we wanted to take, again, a proactive approach and do something before um, we were told to. Right. And, so, and we wanted to pilot this technology because we we've never done it before. We want to know what we're getting into. We're not going to run out and put 20 of them out there. So we, we started what we're calling a pilot, um, and we want to see what are the maintenance aspects of this thing. Currently, we plan to go out there every week and check it. You never know when it might clog. We're also, have to, we're also planning on going out after any major rain events because you'd be surprised the amount of litter in that stream that can build up after one rain event. I mean, all you have to do is walk the stream corridor, and anywhere there's a fallen log, you will see yeah. a large amount yeah. of, of floatables. So, um, so it's called a bandalong. That's the proprietary name, but we had it specifically designed and installed uh, for Little Hunting Creek. And, and then how often does that 
get cleaned out or how is that collect how do you collect the trash out of it well we think sense? we know but we're going to we're going to find out the plan is and we um, we've been on site and met with the construction contractor the designers were out there uh, the folks like me who planned it and, and found it and um, and potential uh, trash collection contractors the plan is and it's in the stream's only about knee deep, mm -hmm. so it's not a real drowning hazard. But a person or two would be in w chest waders. They would go out there, um, and they either manually empty the empty it and then convey it up the bank, and or you can actually have a boom that can come a boom arm that can actually pick up the basket and then um, dump it into. Uh, oh, okay. a, a, but it's probably going to be manual at first, um, and we'll have to. I mean, by and large the maintenance is going to be the long-term um, effort and cost with this thing. Do you see other streams that this would be useful for in the county? Um, yeah, I would be lying if I said no. <laughs> um, there definitely uh, are other streams that are suffering from litter. Um, the real trick is finding one with ideal conditions to install something like this. Uh, once you get a certain amount of flow over a certain velocity, these things, um, they don't recommend them. So if we have a higher gradient stream, like Little Hunting Creek is a very slow, sluggish stream. It doesn't have a lot of force. Even when it rains, it's, it's very slow. Uh, some of our other streams are more high gradient, and they, we may get a lot more debris, and then you may get a lot more forces on that, kind of bending it, pushing it. So there definitely are good candidates in terms of their need. Mm -hmm. um, it's how well can we apply this technology. So uh, right now we're keeping our fingers crossed and watching it, but um, it was only in for a few days when we went out, did our site visit, and it had already collected a lot of, of litter. So it's good. Um, unfortunately, um, this is just a Band-Aid. We're collecting the litter. We're not stopping the litter from occurring. Right. Um, so, and that's not always people throwing, just throwing wrappers on the ground. A lot of it is inadvertent. We may have poorly maintained uh, trash disposal areas. Uh, I don't know about you, but every time I would put my recycling out on the curb when I lived in town, mm -hmm. That was the windiest night of the week. Sure. And you come out there the next morning and half of your recycling's I, gone. You I know. used to say it used to always rain on Monday nights. Yep. It didn't matter. Monday night it was gonna rain, so you put the newspapers out there and it was <laughs> Yeah, if you want it to rain, wash your car. That's what yeah, I always right, say. Right. Because and so, you know, and you could really see the effects of this in neighborhoods when there's a really windy night or when things are not really covered. And the trash companies really don't like you to cover those because it's difficult for their collection guys to to uncover and then get it, you know, usually they just grab them, throw them in, and run down the road. So, um, and usually they're undersized. I don't know about you, but Mike was always, I always had more recycling because I recycle everything I can. Uh, then I had room in my bins. I had to order more bins. Um, also, dumpsters, commercial areas, shopping centers, um, a lot of, you know, if they do provide trash receptacles, sometimes they're full, sometimes the lids blow off. So, um, it's not just, you know, bad people throwing litter on the ground, yeah. but... Um, there's there's a multitude of sources, but um, you know, really, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So, what are some of the things that um, that you'd want to relay to folks about stormwater, some of your concerns, and what folks can do to help? That's great, and that's usually where we end up when we go out with our outreach efforts, depending on whether it's school age children or it's a business owner or a residential community. Um, we, we do a lot of different things to try and help uh, the health of the watersheds. Some of it is um, procedural 
Um, some of it is, you know, physical. We do go and restore streams. We do a lot of monitoring, we, and we like to understand where things are going. But a lot of times people say, well, what can I do? I, you know, I can't, I, I, you know, what, what can I do? And so um, we, there's a lot of things that you can do. You know, your, your choices impact your environment more than you probably think. Um, reduce, reuse, recycle. I mean, that probably is one of the greatest um, concepts to try and convey how to lessen your footprint. Um, even before you recycle, it's always in that order, right? You don't have to recycle if you've reduced what, if you're not using something because mm -hmm. you've reduced your use. Uh, or reusing it, you don't even have to recycle because it's getting used over and over again. So a lot of people don't see the uh, the hierarchy there of of that. But so we always encourage. Well, they they jump right to recycle. Exactly, <laughs> and and that's natural. I don't know why, but yeah. you know, I, I you know, automatic. As you talk with Eric Forbes, you understood, you know, there's a lot of challenges with recycling. It's not um, just like it's easy to do the right thing because it's usually hard to do the right thing. So um, reducing your footprint, we always uh, tell people you really should uh, reduce use of uh, pesticide, herbicide, and fertilizers in your yard. Uh, either reduce it or just don't use them at all. Mm -hmm. um, if you really, really have to use fertilizer, we say fertilize in the fall. Um, you should never fertilize right before it rains because that immediately runs off. And believe it or not, people don't realize it, but some of the largest pollutants in our waterways are nutrients, such as nitrogen and phosphorus. That's what's really hurting the bay. It's not like gasoline or some toxic metal. It's, it's actually nutrients yeah. for life, and, but they're being overstimulated. Well, I, and when, when people think about you know, pollution, mm -hmm. you know, they think about the pictures of the smokestacks yeah. or chemical companies yep. or the, what was in the civil action, they had a... a a varnish that they were putting on mm -hmm. materials oh. and so but it's actually a little bit more innocent than that it right? is and there's multi there's multiple things hurting our streams and i i don't want to get into it too much but a lot of most of it is from when the rain hits the ground that washes the the landscape into the stream so when it rains that i always say the stream and the landscape become unified they become one and a lot of things we do on the landscape when it's not raining actually are going to impact it when it does rain because it washes off. Um, but things that people can do is around their homes, if they have a home, they can, they can harvest the rain, they can collect it in a rain barrel, and you can reuse it. And that's your reducing runoff that's going out into your backyard stream. Use it to water your plants when it's hot. You're also saving water because you're not using the water from the tap. Um, we like to encourage people to consider joining Friends of Clubs. You know, we've got the Friends of Akatink Creek or Friends of Difficult Run who are local community members that advocate for the health of their stream. Uh, we like to uh, encourage people to participate in stream cleanups. There's lots sure. to choose oh, from. Yeah. I, heard, I think oh, I heard yeah. you talking about I went on to your one last, one. last fall at uh, Cub Run Rec Center, and yep. we went all up and down the, uh, the, uh, the Cub Run Stream Valley Park. Yep. And they pulled couches out oh, and, man. and just... Tons of bags of trash, and it was really, really interesting um, because they also have a program with Virginia Tech where they're monitoring. They they logged every single piece of trash nice. that they took in because they can monitor what types of trash and yep. how often. And apparently, some of it is actually getting a lot cleaner uh, than yeah. it was before. And I, and I tell you. Right now, during these odd times, people are now walking and mm -hmm. doing more stuff, and I think they see a lot more of that stuff out there, and I, I see people bringing trash bags out with them yeah. and cleaning up, too. That's, so That's kind of what we're trying to teach our children today is, like, you know, if you walk by something that um, 
that's there that shouldn't be, there's no reason you can't pick it up and make it a better place, right? Um, the other things that we try to, to, to encourage folks to do is um, get out and get to the stream valley. Just go, just go explore it. Learn more about the stream corridor. Learn about the watershed that you live in. Again, as people tend to be uh, familiar with things, they tend to care more about them. And um, lastly, we kind of like to, anywhere that you can reduce impervious surface, in, in your little world where you live, and your, if that means gravel driveways instead of paved driveway, if that means I'm not going to put this big patio in my backyard, maybe I'll do a deck because mm -hmm. it can get, you know. Any, any reduction you can, you can do and have a more natural ground where the water can get in, um, every little bit helps. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I really pre I, I want to have you back on. I, there's sounds I like talk some for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, it, it certainly seems that there are many topics. I, I, I'm always fascinated by the science behind it because mm -hmm. I grew up and really, unless you go out and see your reservoir or the stream mm -hmm. in the back, you don't. It's the storm water and where it goes mm -hmm. when it rains. Other than, you know, watching it, you know, go mm -hmm. down to the gutter to the sewer, you don't think about it. Right. And so I, I always found this really fascinating on what is flowing underneath Fairfax County and, and how it's affected. I mean, appreciate all that you do and, and what your team does. It was really interesting being out there with Dave England, being out there. You got to go out with him, so that's good. deep in uh, Backlick Run, freezing our butts off. Right, Marco? Oh, you went to Backlick. <laughs> you saw the really bad spot. Did he oh, take yeah. you to the really bad oh, yeah. spot? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One thing before I go, I wanted. I remember my uh, colleague Danielle Wynn. She works in my group. Mm -hmm. I think you interviewed her. I she did. does a r amazing um, work with the schools in outreach. And she said, one thing I always like to tell people is just to – fundamental thing is that when it rains and it goes into that drain in the road, it's not going to a sewer treatment plant. It's not getting any kind of a cleaning. That's just a conduit to get it off the road. It's going to end up in your stream where things live. So, right. um, you know, fundamentally, that's what we need to be people to understand. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. You know, the, the days where people just flicking their cigarette butts, and, you know, out that's got to go somewhere or mm -hmm. dumping their medicine or, or right. whatever. So. Really appreciate you coming Enjoyed on. We're going to have you back on, okay. and hopefully you can compete with Eric Forbes. He tends to get the most uh, viewership of our. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's a pretty charismatic guy. Yeah, yeah. He talks, uh, you know, it's, uh, we're, we have to, uh, he's, everyone likes to hear about the recycling, but yeah. we need to push the, you know, reduce, reuse right. before the recycling. Exactly. Too. So we appreciate all the, that you do, and thanks for coming out. Thanks man. for having me. It. it was fun. So that's it for uh, this edition of EnviroPod. Um, so you can go onto the DPWES website to for, find more information about our stormwater um, and the watersheds here in the county. Um, and so I want to thank uh, Chief Shannon Curtis for coming us and joining us today. Um, and of course, all the folks throughout DPWES that support our county, thank you for what you do. Um, if you'd like to send us any questions or comments uh, on the show, please send a message to swpdmail at fairfaxcounty.gov. Um, and then you can listen to EnviroPod on a number of different uh, formats, pretty much any podcast format it's on, um, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, um, and of course the Fairfax County uh, webpage under Podcasts and the DPWES website. Um, so I want to thank uh, my friend Irene Hask for setting all this up. She sets up all the interviews and permits us to do this show. And then, of course, a great staff here at Channel 16 that make all of this happen. So for Fairfax County's EnviroPod, I'm Scott Coco. We'll see you next time.